Science. Hello and welcome to Probably Science. My name's Andy Wood. I'm Matt Kirshen. Would you look at us? Mm-hmm. Back, back in Andy's apartment. Topical one again. We've got all the stories. It's very exciting. We're here. It's almost summer. We've got Robin Morrison joining us. Hello. Funny comedian, writer, all around good all those person. Things. All those things. Tall human. I'm a very tall human. How tall? 5'11". 5'11". Oh, don't you just wish just one more inch? I do. I always have, but you know what? I can wear heels. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Do right. you only date short? Uh, do you only date taller or do you not care? Uh, no. I mean, I'll probably go down to about like 5'7". Okay. Yeah. That seems like a good a good range. Within within four inches, either way. Yeah, I mean, you know, what am like, what am I going to do? It's like also in Los Angeles, there are very, very many short men and not that many good men. Is that, you think <laughs> Los Angeles is a taller? I get that there's no good people here. Uh, do you think it's a shorter city in general? Have you? Yeah. Oh, Just yeah. Absolutely. One hundred percent. It's a cliche of actors being shorter. Or yes. Or, Okay. Actors like heavy Latino population. There's just okay. like a number of, a number of reasons. I mean, I tend to I tend to tower. Yeah. Do you feel uh, a strange guilt? But not strange, I guess. But like concerts suck if you're anywhere on the tall side because like, what if you love a band? You want to be close, but then you're an asshole for standing close. Like, by I'm all, not that tall. Be, I'm not like I'm not, I'm like an average man height, yeah, so that's... I can just sort of stand whenever and not feel guilty. Yeah. And I, you know, you're what? also you're I think. But Andy's also an asshole. Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah. See, whereas I like try to push the smaller people in front of me because I know I can see over them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's school photo rules. Yeah, I guess you just have to. (laughs) I go in the front. (laughs) I think that's what it should be for a concert. A nice slope. Yeah, everyone, like it goes in in height order and the Mm -hmm. shortest people kind of (laughs) kneel. I love that idea. Like like on one knee. They're like, what? One knee. What do you even call that position? The Colin Kaepernick? Yeah. (laughs) They're taking one knee. Because that is, it's, it's, it's the Colin like, Kaepernick slash front row of the school photo. Staples Center, Bruno Mars show, front row, everyone's on one knee. Bruno Mars is on his knees the whole time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I um, I just saw, we just saw an Immortal Orchestra. I don't know if our Australian listeners, they're like half New Zealand, right? I think they're, yeah, I think, they, I think they're fully Kiwi. Portland. Oh, okay. But they're based in Portland, I think. I don't know if our Australian Yeah, oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, I thought, but they're not, I think they are 0% Australian. Okay. Well, we still we have New Zealand. We have a fair number of Kiwi listeners, don't we? I, mean, I believe so. As a a disproportionate, they, they are overrepresented considering the size of their nation. They are uh, uh, almost entirely down to Will Anderson doing our show a couple of times. Yeah, it's all it takes. <laughs> and me doing Will's show a couple of times. Like it's basically that's what it is. You have an exchange nation. program. We do. So yeah, hey Robin. Yes. Before we get deep into the stories, we like to ask our guest this: What if anything is your background in science? Oh, absolutely nothing. I have zero background in science. I failed high school chemistry. Right. I um Was I there ca- a, Sorry, keep sorry. I just interrupted you. Uh no, I occasionally read like human interest science stories, but uh, I like people to tell me about science. I find it very interesting if someone can do it in a way that's reductive, like just kind of taking the essence of it, but um yeah, I always kind of have to wrap my head around it because I have no background. Generally, do no reading on it. I don't watch science shows. You're I don't watch the Discovery Network. Matt, I don't watch. We got to call, call this episode off. I don't know how. This, but here's how the thing. You bring on a, I have a lot of opinions. I have a lot of opinions, and I like to talk about things that's, I don't know anything about. That's what we brought. Yes. That's what we bring our guests on to. Well, some, we do sometimes have people going, like we'll have comedian guests on who after the show are like, "I'm sorry, I didn't know any of this stuff." Like you are. That wasn't the point. A not 
brought on the show to know stuff in advance. And B, we only know some of the stuff because we're literally reading it off the internet in real time. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes you sound really smart if you don't tell people that. Yeah, I think people are fairly aware that we're reading things. We're reading articles that we've either found ourselves or in many cases had emailed into us by listeners of the show. Yeah. So at least one person knows that you're reading it. Yeah, so we have very, we're, you know. We credit our we credit our sources. Oh, yeah, we're not trying to like. Uh, yeah, we we footnotes the show on the on the labor of our of our fan base. Um, was it? I was gonna say I, I bet like uh, we have science guests probably every five to ten episodes, which lends us some credibility. Um, but I bet like half of the fact that our audience has stuck with us is Matt's accent just makes it sound, <laughs> it makes us sound smart. So. It's a pretty good accent. Very clever. Very clever. Uh, so you you failed high school chemistry. Were there classes? Were there science classes that you did enjoy at school? Um, I mean, I, I, um, I just kind of went on an arts track. I took a lot of English classes, uh, an occasional history here and there. That's a common thread for a lot of the co- comedians that we have on the show. Yeah. I, you know what? I always, I like I had, I was in like the gifted program. So I had science friends. I always like to hear people talk about physics. I always found that fascinating. It is the sexiest science. There it are is, all right? kinds of weird theoretical stuff that you can do that bends your brain a little bit. That's. Also, you can talk about that when you're on drugs, so that's perfect. Whereas you don't really want to talk about like biology. I'm, to be fair, science is great when you're on drugs. <laughs> you're like, is what I realized. That's my background in science: is drugs. theoretical conversations when you have taken some sort of. But I think you're right. You can definitely get more of the sort of mind blown stuff in physics, yeah. than you can in talking about photosynthesis is some earth, of the more natural sciences earth science but i'm like wait a minute like volcanoes are fucking badass i mean volcanoes, volcanoes are, are pretty cool, cool. <laughs> but like what are you gonna say they 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 explode volcanoes are cool Erupt. but they're not Erupt. they're not conceptually astonishing in the right. same way they're not you know like can you imagine like if something's really hot and builds up pressure <laughs> and then what? escapes and then it turns from the liquid. earth yeah. yeah it's like it's it's all fairly understandable physical processes rather than you know when you get into the some of the more abstract ideas in quantum Quarks physics and that just make... And... I guess hence the fact that we haven't even had anybody send in any volcano-related stories this <laughs> week and, and Hawaii is melting as we speak. Yeah, an entire so... state of the US is currently exploding and people it's are like, crazy. yeah, yeah. But, just... it, but it is, I don't know. I, we should really try and track down a good volcanologist or... Yeah, I think we do. I think we've had somebody who has been... I think we know somebody. I forgot the name, but... Um, oh, we need to track that yeah, down. Yes, yeah, we'll do that. Just get on that. And if you happen to know any good volcano experts. Oh, yeah. Shoot us an email, probably scienceofgmail.com. Or seismologists. Or any... I do know one. Oh, you do? <laughs> All right. Here we uh, go. He's, but he's in New York. Ah, well, he's sometimes a, over there. He's a geologist who studied um, uh, in New Zealand for a while and studies like faults. Uh, basically, like when rock faults form and the kind of pressure it's required on different kinds of rocks in different circumstances. His name's Stephen Kidder. He's very funny. Nice. And actually, uh, there is a Sandon Totten who has a podcast called Brains On, which is a science podcast for kids. And he's a, uh, I think he's on air at KPCC here in town. He is um, oh, yeah, not a seismologist per se, but uh, a, a science communicator with a specialization in seismology. So I think we're going to have him at some point. Sweet. He'd be even better than a real seismologist because often, you know, scientists are not great at looking people in the eye and speaking about things that aren't purely science related. We can't officially say that as a podcast that has had... I can make generalizations about scientists and uh, I just did, so... (laughs) 
Oh, and if I'm allowed to plug, I think I plug other podcasts too much in this, but I've been catching up on Allie Ward's great podcast, Ologies, recently. Have you heard that yet, Matt? I haven't heard any of it yet. It's, uh, it's a great science podcast, and every episode is with uh, an ologist of some, of some kind. So, well worth checking out, Ologies. That's cute. I like that. Yeah, it's a really good show. Um, I don't think there's been anything we've talked about on the show that has broke... Because many different... Well, I don't know different responses of real life experiences as, as face blindness and aphantasia because we've had some more letters coming through yeah yeah robin are you familiar with the concept of uh aphantasia or or face blindness well the aphantasia is where you you don't think in pictures that's exactly it but I, I only know that because there's a comic who started talking about it on stage <laughs> is it brandy posey it is yeah right isn't that cr- that's how i i never heard of it either she posted no. on facebook i'm like you can't picture things i don't understand how that works i know uh so we got a bunch of listeners right not a bunch we had a few listeners um right in with their own experiences one of them a 29 year old northern indiana resident a male who's married with two kids and works in a factory job and uh, his name is Jezra Brenneman, which has caused many of the same statements and questions to be said to me thousands of times. I don't know what those statements and questions are. I guess just what is where does Jezra come from? Um, so, yeah, the, the aphantasia conversation piqued his interest. Um, and he said uh, he has aphantasia and ADD. For some people, aphantasia seems to be linked to a loss of narrative memory, which he also has. So this combination means he lives most of his life completely in the present. He says, I can remember facts about the past and things I've learned, but actual events I've experienced, I don't remember anything but a few details sometimes. Also with the ADD, it means that if I'm not hyper-focused on something, most things will distract me and pull me out of what I'm currently experiencing. I'm sure some people would categorize this as a terrible way to live, but to me, it's the way it is. For years, I assumed that people were speaking metaphorically about visualizing things in their head, or recounting a memory. It wasn't until I married my wife, who has really good visual memory, that I realized most people can re-experience things in their head and hallucinate. I don't know if hallucinate's the right word, but I know what you mean. Yeah, it, I guess it is sort of, of the of best a... equivalent to that. Yeah. But he said, what a weird way to live. I've talked to my wife about it a lot, but it seems to be a terrible thing to be able to re-experience the bad things that happen to you. I, was like, I never thought of it that way. Uh, even if you also get the good. How are you people not just stuck in your own heads all the time? Uh, we, we are! are. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds rough. For me, I can usually remember the lesson I learned from an event, but but I'm not, what I would say, chained to it until the end of time. That's just a short o- overview of the many things me and my wife have talked about over the years, and I thought you might find my particular form of mental quirks to be interesting. And I do. I agree, Jezra. That's very yeah. interesting. He also says, if any, any lessons have any questions, feel free to email. Uh, so, yeah, that that is interesting. Like I, I think, though... Most people aren't chained to the past in the way he describes unless they have a photographic memory. And I was listening to someone talk recently about mm-hmm. there are people who have extraordinarily good memories, like something approaching photographic memory. Mary Lou Henner. Mary Lou Henner is one of them, famously, yeah. Weirdly enough, the... I'm making a very surprised yeah, face. Yeah, I thought she was... I mean, to me, that's what for she's those mostly who, known for. For the now. slightly younger listeners, were sitcom actor. She was in the, Taxi. Yeah. The, uh, but yeah, she famously, she can recall if you give her any day, any calendar day, she can tell you what she was doing on that day going years back. I'm jealous of that. I think that would be amazing. I forget everything. I feel more like your guest in terms of just like people have to remind me of what happened for me to actually start to recall it. They have mm-hmm. to be like, oh, we were here and we were doing this and we had a good time. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was great. But, but the downside of the more extreme versions of that situation, obviously it has huge benefits, but uh, someone who has experienced trauma in their life relives it like it was yesterday. If, if every memory to you is as clear as... Uh, 
15 years later as it was the time at the moment of happening that also means traumatic and horrible events are as clear so if you lose a loved one then for most of us obviously that pain is always there but it's it fades with time but for them it's as raw as it is on day one but do you think that's as true of the emotional reaction to the response because I think remembering say you remember your dad's funeral and you can remember the flowers and you can remember the eulogy and you can remember all of these things but I think your feelings also do change with time as you process them so you're not necessarily tied to that same awful experience that's an interesting case I think in one of the cases one of the people interviewed did say this I think there was also like a radio lab about this as well maybe I'm mentioning Uh, but yeah, that's a fair point. I think those two are, those two things are different. I, I guess indicated by the fact that Jezra has the emotional memory, but not the visual memory. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess just because you have detail of something doesn't mean you always have to have the same emotional reaction. And it, I also I think that bad things play a bigger role in your memory anyway. Like I can remember humiliating and embarrassing events much more clearly like i can i can remember those as if i have a photographic right, memory right. sometimes so that's oh. <laughs> so it just it yeah, just the stays time in there like, i get to play it over in my head over and over as and over the again. words leave your mouth like oh this will be something i will remember 40 years oh, from now yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's mm-hmm. also uh, uh in cognitive psychology and decision theory loss aversion I think just in general, like, uh, you know, losing $5 hurts more than winning $5 feels good. You know, like humans are kind of tr- wired that way because probably because it, it keeps us away from like things that mm-hmm. kill us. But uh, it makes us sort of negative by and, nature. And there was there were a couple of other messages about face blindness, um, like uh, um, Haley Jade messaged on Facebook as well. Say, uh, amongst other things, I had a situation when I broke up with my partner of three and a half years We'd obviously spent almost every day with. After about a week after we separated, I went to a club. My friend pointed him out, and I genuinely could not recognize him. <gasps> wow! Oh my god, that's crazy! Just meeting people in different contexts, uh, Haley says, just is enough. Or different clothing is enough to throw, like completely. What does she th- do? How does she manage her life? Uh, you just find ways working around it. I think my my favorite still a Fantasia message was from last week, where Louisa Primo was saying. Uh, Hey, I'm going to find the exact wording because it was it was a treat. It's it's still amusing me that amongst other things, um, with uh, same goes for other senses. So if I try to think of a cat meowing, it's actually me meowing. <laughs> that's that's still just that idea still amuses me that I can hear I can picture right now exactly what a cat sounds like meowing, but in Louisa's head, it's like, just the yeah. sound of a person going. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah, this, this there's so many things I want. Yeah, so we got to get Brandy on to talk about this because I have I just yeah wanna... we let's let's rectify that before long because again we've now we've now had three episodes in a row talking about <laughs> Fantasia and not had someone that we know quite well who is so, directly who's an expert an, directly an expert from personal experience of it and a person who tells stories for a living and paints a picture with words but i think it's a, but i think it's a recent uh aware she's recently become aware that yeah. she had this she didn't she just didn't well, know the, the other thing we've mentioned this on the show a couple of weeks ago but my friend carrie who's a comic who like, went decades of his life without realizing it like fairly recently discovered it yeah i mean i guess it wouldn't hinder day-to-day things but like just to, to assume everyone was always talking metaphorically when they say <laughs> pictures of something. Is so yeah. Funny. I'd be like, God, you guys are great at metaphors. <laughs> well, just every so often something happens to you, I think, where you realize, oh, like I, I'm, the, I'm sure I've mentioned this years ago on the podcast, but the first time I got 
a real hangover, uh, which was okay, which was in my twenties, and I, you know, I'd got drunk as as in my teens and early twenties, and felt had like nausea the next morning. Uh, you know, felt groggy, felt a bit unpleasant, maybe even had a little bit of a headache. But the first time I just woke up suddenly, and this happened in my mid twenties, with <laughs> it just felt like someone was just hammering nails into my head, and just went, oh. A, this is horrible. B, now I understand what people were doing when they were acting hungover. Referenced in the popular culture or yeah, TV shows. Like a ca- or like a cartoon, like a comic strip of like a, a hungover person drawing. Yeah. Or the first time I actually saw stars from being slightly <laughs> That's stunned. a crazy thing. To, yeah, uh, yeah that's you go, oh, that's why Looney Tunes or whatever does like stars. It's like that you actually do sort of see effectively... Yeah, it's a terrible transition. Stars in front. Like of I head. remember, I thought I just didn't get hangovers until all of a sudden I got one, and it fucking ruined me. Yeah, it's it is ruinous. You can't do anything. You can't think anything. You can't move. You can't. Yeah, it's, it's like the sort of later in life version of finding out Santa isn't real. <laughs> suddenly, <laughs> way more just suddenly a strip of innocence is torn off you. But it happens then every week for you know, the next fifteen years. Yeah. I wonder if it's because it's, it happens to you at the point where it's kind of too late to learn lessons, sort of Pavlovian lessons. <laughs> like, you don't learn stuff as easily when you're older, and that's the point at which suddenly you get bad hangovers. If that had happened yeah, to me right. the first time I got drunk, I, I might never have been a drinker. Well, I mean, I've definitely sworn off drinking on many occasions, mostly that's in also college. True. It's like, no, this is seriously the last time. What it, no- what it normally means, though, is you just sort of swear off specific alcohols after right, it. Right, mm, right. Absinthe. Uh, yeah, I couldn't do for a long time Sambuca or tequila. Sambuca? What a weird... It wasn't. It wasn't a sambuca. Was not a big loss. Oh yeah, like yeah, I didn't. I, I could give that. For my life time. wasn't much poorer for losing that. From Wait, my you don't want to? You don't want to drop a coffee bean and flame up your drink every time exactly. you go to the bar? <laughs> is sambuca licorice flavored or is it? Yeah, it's sort of anisey. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, it's in that same class of no like thanks. absinthe, perno, kind of licorice anisey that sort of flavor. Yeah. Well, uh, that's you have some bad memories associated with those liquors. What if you? Uh, what if you could transplant those memories <laughs> into a snail? Whoa. <laughs> that, this is a life science story that would blow someone's mind. What a segue. What a segue. <laughs> I know. Is, it, is Justin Broad sent this one in? Yes. I think maybe two people. Oh, no. Maybe just Justin. Um, science may never know what wistful memories play on the mind of the California sea hare, a foot-long hermaphrodite marine snail, as it munches on algae in the shallow tide pools of the Pacific coast. But in a new study, researchers claim to have made headway in understanding the simplest kind of memory a mollusk might form, and with a swift injection, managed to transfer such a memory from one sea snail to another. How are, how Is can they tell that they're transferring that memory from one sea we'll snail to, to another? We'll, okay. to, we'll, oh, to. we'll tell you how yes. they tell. Uh, David Glansman, a neurobiologist at UCLA, believes the kinds of memories that trigger a defensive reflex in this snail are encoded not in the connections between brain cells, as many scientists would argue, but in RNA molecules that form part of an organism's genetic machinery. So in an experiment to test that, they implanted wires into the tails of California sea hares, or Aplesia californica. Good work there, Andy. Thank you. I guess. I don't know. I saw, um, I saw the Latin coming up, and I was like, oh, I'm glad I'm not the one reading this one. Say californica. That's not hard. Uh, and gave them a series of electric shocks. The procedure sensitized the animals so that when they were prodded, prodded in a fleshy spout called a siphon, they contracted their gills in a robust defensive action. Glansman likens the reaction to being jumpy in the moments after an earthquake. The memory of the event induces an involuntary reflex to any loud noise. 
So after they sensitized these sea snails, uh, they extracted RNA from the animals and injected it into other sea snails to see what happened. He found the recipient's sea snails became sensitized, suggesting the, quote, memory of the electric shocks had been transplanted. When Glansman repeated the experiment with RNA from sea snails that had been hooked up to wires but not shocked, the reflex behavior did not transfer. All right. Seems like a good control. So yeah. they gave them electric shock therapy. Basically, well, sure. Or they hurt them, and then they took some RNA out, put it in a different isn't this, snail, and, isn't, and tried to see if that snail got... Isn't PETA on this? That's I don't a think snail. anybody invertebrates. I don't think anybody cares, right? Is that the line? We, we don't care about crossing? I don't know. Although, then, no, we had a whole episode where we, uh, with uh, Dana Staff. Dana Staff. Dana Staff. Dana, damn it. Dana Staff. Yep. Yes. Who uh, who loves all things um, um, squid related. Gross. Cephalopods, uh, which are, yeah, all invertebrates. They're delicious. And some of them super smart. Yeah. Oh. Those footheads. Yep. Um, so, yeah, the memory uh, of that incident was, was held in the RNA, which is crazy. I guess I did think that everything memory related had to be in the brain. Not the case. And that's all I have to say about that. I'm trying to think of what else I... That's that. And end of skit. And good night. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> trivia tonight, guys? What are we doing? What's... Uh... Oh, we could. There's trivia every night in Los Angeles. That's yeah, true. it was... Uh, last night ended with science questions, the final round. And I got... Did you, what was the question? Uh, Before you... T- it, I... I it, so the the one the trivia night we go to normally the final round is normally like um it's normally ten of something and it's really it's almost impossible to get all ten right but if you get all if you get the whole round right you can double uh, every round has like double or nothing it's not ten questions it's saying list it's, the top ten yeah and it's normally something that's very unguessable it's normally like list the top ten coffee producing countries in the world mm-hmm. and you might make a good educated guess at seven or eight of them but the chance of you getting all ten of them right because also the difference between like the tenth and the eleventh is pretty slim um but this one was it was three different questions and uh let me get the exact wording um and it i, I got s- screwed on one of the elements the, the first three were named the three elements that begin with o uh oxygen that's the easy one um, and then wait, wait, wait. Let me let me just try. Hold on. I will. Um, the the next two, the other two questions, the rest of the ten were name the four terrestrial planets in the solar system. Terrestrial? Does that just mean kind of close in size to Earth? I mean, I guess M class planets. No, sorry. I believe uh, this is what I guessed. Uh, at I, least uh, it mean it means made of rock oh, rather not than gaseous. Oh, exactly. Okay. So, including Earth or not? Uh, oh, because well, I thought that. Yeah, it is including Earth. Earth is one of them. So it's just the first four. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah, all it is. Earth, it's Mars. just the fourth, first four planets. So Mercury, Va- Venus, Earth, Mars, and then the final one was name the three types of rock that exist oh, on yeah. Earth. Oh yeah, sedimentary, igneous, and metamorphic. Boom. Uh, yeah, the the two elements. The I guess I I sort of half guessed, half remembered one Wait, of them. Don't, okay. But then the other one, we mentioned it on the show recently because it's oh. a very recently named element and there was not a chance that anyone was going to get it. Oh, is it named for a person or place? Yeah, and it's the only element that currently is named named after someone who's currently alive. Whoa. Oh, God damn it. Uh, and it has the atomic number 118. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, can you tell me what the person <clears throat> who it's named for is known for? Uh, he's a physicist, I think. Not like a household name. Not in the slightest. You and you, you, not a chance you would get it. Odonalium. Um, it's I so I successfully guessed. I successfully guessed slash remembered. Wait, wait, all, no, oh. So you can do the one that's not that one. Yeah, maybe? the one that the one that's not that one. I successfully on. guessed. Um, do you want a starting letter? Or do you wait? That's that starting letters. Oh, oh the actual thing doesn't starting. Start no, a starting next letter rather. Starting. I guess no. sure. It's OS, and that's also its chemical symbol. I still don't know what that is. Okay, it's osmium. Oh, okay. Oh. Never, don't even know that existed. And I got close because it, it. I guessed Oregonium. Like I was oh, like, okay. I was guessing whether it's named other thing, but it's uh, Oganesson. O g a n e s s o n. That is a tough. By the standards of our bar trivia nights, that's a pretty damn tough. That's one. a really yeah. No, that no one's gonna get that. Or very few people. Unless maybe just a recent physicist, but it is named after. Um. Uh, the nuclear physicist Yuri Organesian. Okay. Um, Russian. Did you guys Ukrainian. win though as a team? He is or Russian. Not? Was that no? We, we we he we did not had a had a rare not even place. We were miles off last night. Very disappointed in ourselves. But yeah, atomic number one one eight. Like it's you just this just unless you're a physicist or chemist who happens to be doing that specific thing, you're never going to know it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I could do a little more info on the on the snail story if you want, just about what the implications are. If you guys are still interested, I feel like I've, I think I lost the room on the snails. Did I or not? I mean, we did move oh. on to trivia. But by I the way, <laughs> by the way, there was also one other element named after a living person, but that person is now dead. But that is <laughs> that is Glenn T. Seaborg, who's an American chemist and lent his name to Seaborgium. Seaborgium, that's a great name. Uh, but I was going to say, if you guys were at all skeptical about the snail memory transplantation, further in the article, it says the work has not found widespread acceptance. <laughs> is it Tomas- not found widespread acceptance as correct, valid science or just in general as like a thing worth doing? Well, Tomas Ryan, who studies memory at Trinity College Dublin, is firmly unconvinced. He says it's interesting, but I don't think they've transferred a memory. This works. This work tells me that maybe the most basic behavioral responses involve some kind of switch in the animal, and there's something in the soup that Glansman extracts that is hitting that switch. So I don't know. I guess it depends on how you define a memory, but something had been changed in that RNA that was transferred. So well, but that's like what's the what's the brain the part of your brain that's like your lizard brain the amygdala? I don't know if it's that simple. Is it maybe? Um, I mean, but it, it sounds very similar. It sounds like those just those sort of instinctive reactions that you don't know how they work that are a part of your makeup that you can't. You yeah, know. but even that's still your brain. So it's I'd be surprised if someone was like, no, we found out that that it's like barely your brain. though. <laughs> it's the only part I use. <laughs> Basically, uh, all I do all day is just uh, flee from fires. That's- <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so that same person, Tomas Ryan, who was skeptical, added that radical thinking about, me- about memory was sorely needed. In a field like this, uh, which is so full of dogma, we are waiting for people to retire so we can move on. We need as many new ideas as possible. Wow, that's bleak. Wow, wow huh. Uh, this work takes us down an interesting Scathing. road. But I have a huge amount of skepticism about it. <laughs> we are waiting but for like, people to retire. But, like, why isn't he suggesting so the new on. ideas? That's, like, not even, like, not even sort of we can, we should have, bring in re- fresh blood and have them introduce die, old scientists like, die literally the only way this science yeah. can move on is if a whole generation of people just corpse yeah it's just just crash out mm-hmm. 
That's how it's gonna have to be. Let's let's, the same with you know. If they all start dying, we know who to finger first. (laughs) I feel the same way about people who still put two spaces after a period. Like we just have to wait. Listen, Uh, you know what? (laughs) I just stopped doing that, and uh, it was a real transition for me. I did in the last five years, or maybe ten. Do it when I when I finally someone sent me an article that said definitively all the style guides have gotten rid of it, and I was like, it was hard. It took some real effort. But the thing is, it was it was drilled into your head. Yeah, it's not. It's not like it was wrong. That was the thing that you had to do for a long, for a long time, and people yeah. change. I and read that's an article fine. recently. So I think this is an American I mean, thing. I think this is an American problem. No, I think it was like typewriter, but it was never two spaces at any. I don't know. Of, it was never taught. It was, no, it was typewriter based for sure in right. America or in North America. But there was some study recently. This is actually getting back to science that showed that it is easier to read. Stu- it's still easier to read when there's two spaces. You can. Oh. You can skim an article quicker. Interesting. Now it just jumps out at me so much. I didn't notice it before much, and now that I stopped, I changed. I, I see it. I see it everywhere. And oh, any any more than three dot or any wrong number of dots for an ellipsis just drives me crazy. Like, no, it is its own character. It's just three. It's just three. Agreed. What, like, this is like a losing battle in 2018. Jesus, like I am a dinosaur for caring about any of this shit. I just know that now I can wind you up by doing different numbers. <laughs> Seven periods two, in the ellipse. Like, did you mean to do a period and just hit it twice? Like, what? Well, I'll, I'll, what I, I might start doing is like period, period, comma. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. That's the worst. Own. That like drills into my eyeballs. <laughs> it's like I the hate it so much. Of ellipses. It's like you want someone to wait and then wait a little more. I don't know. What? What? What character is Enteric Bang again? Is that like an exclamation mark? And a question mark. With a question mark. And you say exclamation mark, not point. Yeah. Because that's British and regional in the US. And I met some exclamation Americans mark. who say exclamation mark. I'm like, what? Oh, no. I'm on I'm on team mark for sure. Yeah, I would point. say. I'm just Where checking. Canada. Okay. Yeah. It's definitely regional. That's right. I forgot to include Canadian in your list of attributes. It is one <laughs> of my, it's one of my best and one that I brag about the most. Yep. I think I first met you with a group of Canadians. That's probably true. We're we're roving around Los Angeles you and we do, stick together. You, yeah, you clump. Mm-hmm. There's like, you know, the Emerson Mafia? There's definitely a Canadian Mafia in the comedy scene here in LA. Well, but most of them came late. Like, they already were very successful or very successful or do, like had been doing stand-up in Canada for like 10 years and then moved here and then they're like, oh, we're just going to kill it all over town. Whereas I was already here uh, and started late. And uh, But I mean, like, I'm an easy entry point for people who just moved, to, who just moved here from Canada because yeah. I'm like the same age. But what, also, where did accessible. you, where did you grow up in Canada? Uh, Vancouver till I was ten, and then Toronto. Yeah, yeah, a little, bit, a little bit of everything. Nice. It's two of the better parts of Canada. We like them. It's the New York and L.A., correct? Yeah, pretty uh, much. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know what Montreal because Montreal is not the Chicago. Montreal is its own special. Montreal is its own thing. beast because it yeah. is. It does. It did surprise me is the it, first time I was there. Like how bilingual it is. Oh God, yeah. Could like it. Be, it re- like even though it, it's sort of even though everyone in Montreal can speak English, they really will go out of their way to not do it in your presence. Right? Could it be the New Orleans of Canada? <sighs> yeah, there's a lot of drinking. There's a lot of uh, European influence, mm-hmm. and yeah, I, f- I feel like that's a reasonable analogy. If New Orleans were a bigger city, I guess it's just. The but size. New Orleans, yeah. I mean, Montreal's not that big. Oh really? Um, I mean, it's more like Montreal and Toronto are kind of Paris and London. I'll take that. Sure. They're sort of, you know, 
they one's each other. one uh, yeah there there really is there's like a sort of awkward rivalry there's, everybody hates toronto though. Very, that's just a thing is that because, true because it's like the biggest city and but the same is true of london to everywhere else in the uk yeah i think oh, okay. that's and everywhere else in europe particularly now after the Ugh. brexit vote it's terrible i guess it's i so thought terrible. for some reason toronto was like a beloved like a more it's beloved by america no you're just it, thinking it, of it, it you're is. thinking of yeah. canada in general right right right, right. But once you're within the world of Canada, right. once you've already taken a base level of Canadian, then Toronto, Toronto are the dicks. And all I know of it is a uh, 13-year-old Andy uh, trip with the family to see Phantom of the Opera when that was making its run there. Wow, the that's famous, so sad. That famous Canadian <laughs> Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. It was the it got to Detroit, I guess, for some reason. <laughs> so we drove out. There was, there was a long time where Phantom and Les Mis were the main cultural uh, checkpoints in Toronto. Yeah. It was good, I think. I don't remember that much. I saw. I was probably around the same age as you saw Phantom of the Opera. I enjoyed it yeah, as a. Yeah, it was fun. Sure. As, a, as a kid, you know, there's a there's a magic trick in it and all sorts. Is there there is a sequel Falls or something, right? Is that, yeah, there's oh, a sequel that was playing in Los Angeles very recently. That's meant to be abysmal. Uh, that is what I heard. I heard it was terrible. Is it not canonical? Is it not like who did this? No, it's it's Andrew Lloyd Webber. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. Cash yeah. in. He doesn't have enough cats money. Right. But he also, I didn't realize he did uh, School of Rock, the new stage version. He wrote that. He? He's still, he's got to be. I thought Jack Black wrote that. <laughs> no, he lived it. Yeah. So, <laughs> Someone said he was at a recent show. Jack Black came to see the touring company of it as Pantages. I find that I very he, sweet. Yeah. I bet he just goes to get free snacks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we should have him on the show. Yeah, we should do that. <laughs> yeah, we should just, uh, he keeps asking. I'm like, Jack, we'll get, we'll, we'll find a time. We'll find a time. We'll make you. it happen. Yeah. We'll, He's we'll, trying to get out of Kyle's shadow by coming on the podcast. Oh, Gareth. <laughs> I actually ended up crossing paths with, like, I'm sort of friends with Kyle might be gettable actually because he's <laughs> my friends play in his band now. these guys I know from Jam Nights uh, yeah if you get a chance to see the Kyle Gass band they're great or the band Winchester which is uh, made up of some of the same guys plugging your friends I love it oh and Tenacious D is going back on tour for the first time in forever I think they just put tickets on sale go see Tenacious D I'm just gonna do all my plugs for things just that keep plugging <laughs> things that are substantially more successful than us oh you know what, you know what I could also do also not science related you gotta watch that modern family <laughs> here's a segue into thanking our listeners for their donations because one of them sent me money I think because I recommended a podcast he liked um, which is a great parody of true crime, true crime podcasts called This Sounds Serious it's the hardest I've laughed at a podcast ever it's uh, Dave Shimka from Stop Podcasting Yourself and some others. So it's a Canadian oh. production. Um, it's such a spot on, you know, if you listen to uh, Serial or there's so many things to it. It's, it's a little S-Town Serial, The Jinx. But That's great. It's a parody of them. Um, See, I just watched American Vandal and I felt like I did that. It's I did like, that. But it's still worth, neither one of those is makes the other unnecessary. It's, they're both, yeah, check out This Sounds Serious. Um, Jason Hickman did. And he liked it so much, he sent us 20 bucks. So, <laughs> and he quoted Shouldn't a joke from... should he have sent them $20? <laughs> Fuck them. They're doing fine. But yeah, go listen to that. Um, and if you like Modern Family, uh, <laughs> go to probablyscience.com and click the donation tab. Um, and Rex Allen? They, uh, they do interviews halfway through, even though they're not really part of a documentary. It's very okay. confusing. But that is, like, I think... Uh, by the way, have we talked about Arrested Development yet? Uh, on on this are we allowed to should I cut this out it's fine oh did you tell, uh, I want you to say it then <laughs> oh no I just I, I got to do a very little bit of writing with them 
which That's is fun. fun. Still, you're fucking writing on the new season of Russell. Okay, um, but I think that are that Max show... and Matt still there? What's that? Are Max and Matt still there? Uh, only one of them was there. The one who didn't have a baby. Yes, Matt. The not the redhead, the dark haired one. Yes. But as great as that show is, I think that and The Office are responsible for so many shows where I'm like, is this a document? Why are you talking to the camera? <laughs> I, I hate that about Modern Family so much. Like, every show doesn't have to be a fake documentary. It can just be a show. We it is, well, but, but it is weird that of the two conventions that they both had, it's the, the talking to the characters talking straight to camera, giving mini interviews in the middle of the episode is the one that stuck and not the voiceover like the ron howard voiceover yeah the narration yeah no one none of the other sitcoms took up the narration trope they all took up the talking heads (laughs) and arrested never did talking to the camera it was just that it was no shaky handheld you were there kind of yeah everything's uh, everything's sort of handheld and you've got the ron howard voiceover but you don't have yeah there's no no there's no talking heads ever which is good because that's the most unless unless it's within like I, I, sure there are some episodes where they've done something like that, but it's a character is being interviewed specifically for something. And the, but there is awareness. But of they've the always had a reason. Them. Yeah, 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 yeah. But in all those shows, you know, I, I think. But even still, Arrested Development does. You know, there is, there is no reason for there to be a camera around. Like, there's obviously private scenes and bedroom scenes and that kind of thing where there wouldn't be a camera. Right. right. Whereas I think the English version of The Office was rigorous about, like, there's always. There's always a reason for a camera to be present. And if you're and seeing they, something that's secretive, it's only because the camera happened to see through the blinds distance away. Or yeah, exactly. Like that, I, I think the American office cheated it as well. They, got, they were less strict about it, but the, the English office was definitely, the, like, the original was definitely very rigorous about yeah. Easier that when it's a total of 12 episodes than if you're yeah, paying for it. Yeah, exactly. Rather than having to make like oh, however much, 120 or whatever it was right. they did. They, um... Uh... Yeah, it's like if you ever seen Peep Show as well, which has the conceit yeah, that everything is from one character's point of view. But I can't watch that show for that reason. Yeah, really. Even though it's, I love those, it's Mitchell and Webb, right? Yeah, and, and funny as fuck. And though. the writers are all phenomenal people who've written every other great comedy thing <laughs> uh, out of Britain in the last ten years. But um, but again, they they if they need to get a two shot and there's only two people in the room, they'll have like a dog in the scene. No, really? <laughs> yeah, they'll, they're, they're that great. rigorous That's about great. making, like nothing is in that show that isn't seen from someone's point of view. Okay, and at least they're sticking to their conceit. Yeah, that's something. I like internal logic like that. Yep, like they're, they they make it work. Anyway, we're getting oh, yeah. we're getting uh, very far. We do have some donors to thank. Let's. Yes, Rex Allen also sent a one off. Um, Forrest Whitaker sent us more money after he sent money last week, and then we joked about his name. So is that the real? This is yeah, the, sure. the, the comment he said. Like, uh, uh, just um, hang on. Where is the? I you were make the, up something he said. No, I was about to read out the same comment from last time because I think there's some repeats in here. But yeah, uh, Forrest Whitaker here is definitely my actual name. I absolutely prefer the associations with a great actor to the Forrest Gump link I used to get when I was younger. (laughs) Thanks again for continuing to... And then it says nice things about us. I started reading out a compliment and I I hate doing that. Um, But thank you, Forrest. And then David Parsons sent us a one-off, which I think was new from last week. And then Inez Boyley. Um, Thank you for that. And we also have monthly, monthly donations from Sean Gordon, Peter Long, David Worth's Destruction Lane, and a new one from Bryson Rhodes, who sent a very sat- satanic amount of money. Inez also asked for for our our opening theme as an individual file. Says, uh, I'm not tech savvy enough to isolate it myself, but I want it for my ringtone. 
That's pretty great. Uh, I think if he listens back to, <laughs> if you go back through the pages, find somewhere in the first five episodes in the show notes, there is a direct link to it because someone else wanted it. But Is I there can, really? I remember having to put it up somewhere. Yeah. It's maybe who that still uses a ringtone? We all keep our phones on silent now. That's who right. we are. On Do Not Disturb even. I, I do that. Oh, I'm a Do Not Disturb. Everyone hates me for it. We should do a version <laughs> of the Probably Science theme that's just buzzing. <laughs> <laughs> buzzing thing. Do we, we got some monthly donors as well, but I, again, it looks like there's some repetitions from last week. No, the documents were, have been The ones I just up. said are, are the ones that we didn't mention last week. As oh, long okay. as we did, did we read ones last week? Did we read? I think we did. If we did, then those ones below the line were last week's. Okay. But also, thank you. Have we thanked the monthly ones above the line? Bryson Rhodes, Destruction Lane, David Wirth, Peter Long, Sean Gordon. That's what I just said. Is that what you said? And then the new one from Bryson Rhodes. I was too busy looking up the rest of the stuff. You got That's thanked it. twice. <laughs> yep. That's uh, what happens, thanks to my ineptitude. Damn, you guys owe us. Yeah, you owe you us got, a second donation. <laughs> you got a double thank. But yeah, seriously, thank you everyone for supporting the show, for listening, and uh, sending stories and sending money. Um, what do Justin, we got? Well, we, Justin Broad is always a reliable source of stories, and um, he had a couple I liked this time around. One second. Um, well, for one thing, I didn't realize that North Korea had actually detonated a nuclear weapon. I, I thought testing didn't actually mean... I don't know what I thought it meant, but I guess uh, the North Korean nuclear test had the energy of 10 Nagasaki bombs and literally moved a mountain, geophysicists say. An underground North Korean nuclear test in September last year exploded with 10 times the energy of the atomic bomb that exploded over Nagasaki in 1945. It also caused parts of the overlying mountain peak to sink by half a meter and shift around 3.5 meters south. That seems like a bad idea to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, these are conclusions drawn by geophysicists who use satellite radar and instruments that pick up waves traveling through the Earth to calculate the, calculate the explosion's depth and strength. They also report signs that a subterranean tunnel system at the test site collapsed 8.5 minutes after the bomb detonated. Sucks uh, for anyone who was inside that tunnel. Right. God, think about how much work it takes to make those tunnels and they just destroyed them. Oh, uh, you just blew up a fucking nuclear bomb above my tunnel. I've <laughs> been working on it for a month. So you're saying that I shouldn't be concerned about the tunnels and I should be concerned more about the bomb itself? God. <laughs> I'm just... It feels like sometimes I'm just digging these tunnels for no reason. <laughs> if you're just going to go and detonate nuclear bomb again over my tunnels that I worked on. <laughs> Matt, the new, your new character, North Korean Mole. Yeah. <laughs> Try to dig here, guys. Try to dig a tunnel for, you know, it's tunnel season. And I had a lot of tunnel fans who were booked to enjoy the tunnel. And and I told them there was not going to be a nuclear bomb. And then there was a nuclear bomb. And that is your, you're the nuclear bomb department. I'm the tunnel department. And we need to coordinate this thing because... By the way, and now they all want their money back. Is it just me or does tunnel season start earlier and earlier every year? Like, <laughs> it's bullshit. Like, it's not even Thanksgiving yet. Yeah. It feels can't... like it's only like the nuclear bomb season's barely ended and then they're already putting out the tunnel cards. It's fucked up. Um, so since the United Nations General Assembly adopted the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty in 1996, nine nuclear tests have taken place. Six of these were by North Korea, which I didn't realize either. That's, um, I mean, I've never been actually scared of do you guys ever actually i i tuned out of that i couldn't fear a, a bomb getting dropped there were, there were too many other political uh political issues in the air at that point in time i was like this is gonna happen or it's not i can't pay attention right. to this i'm out to be honest my my main reason for not worrying is it's such if a nuclear war happens i think we, i'm with you on this it's yeah. it's such 
cataclysmic event that it might as well you might as well not worry about it because that's the end of everything anyway yeah as long as you live that's why it's good we don't live in like San Bernardino or something because that's going to be the worst if you don't die from the initial blast like if we all die together that's true in an instant we don't even know it did it even happen it's sort of a tree falls in the wo- bomb falls in the woods thing but put, yeah if you put me out right, of my misery right. I don't want to have to scramble for food and become a cannibal right you're 100 miles inland and uh, you, you get radiation poisoning and then there's water stops running and stuff but like yeah if everyone dies together it's sort of like it would suck but you would yeah. So okay. Yeah. yeah uh, it's, it's way what, to take us to a very dark place about how terrible things are going to happen. Be a very bright place for a little bit, like super, <laughs> super bright. So then we'll all be blind before we die. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the bombs were detonated in chambers tunneled into the mountain itself, a granite peak that extends upwards just over twenty two hundred meters. Um, so yeah, the details of the tests, such as the energy produced by the bombs, have largely been unknown outside North Korea until now. So I didn't realize that we could, with these instruments, uh, see what they're doing, even if they don't tell us. Um, so yeah, it's a, um, let's see, Dr. Wang at, uh, a geophysicist at Singapore's Nanyang Technological Institute or Technological University, um, they suspected they could deduce the strength and precise location of the bomb test on September 3rd last year, which triggered a magnitude 6.3 earthquake, um, Clandestine nuclear activities are tracked by a global monitoring system of sensors that pick up the faint shivers and shudders generated by distant underground blasts and earthquakes. But while these instruments are capable of picking up the wave signature of a bomb blast thousands of kilometers away, more information is needed to pinpoint exactly where an explosion has taken place. I guess you can't set off a nuclear bomb in secret anymore. Right? Yeah. What's this world coming to? Uh, so in the weeks after the September North Korean bomb test, Dr. Wang, it's probably Wong, right? And his colleagues received images of the Mount Mantap terrain before and after the test, snapped by the German Terra-SAR-X satellite. To map the bumps and dips in the Earth's entire surface, Terra-SAR-X pings radar towards the ground and measures the time it takes for the signal to bounce back up again. And uh, as long as the ground is deformed, we can measure it from space using synthetic radar aperture, Dr. Wong said. Combined with a bit of nifty mathematical modeling, the first time anyone's modeled an underground nuclear test with their radar data, he and his colleagues got a fix on the exact location of the detonation site. And it was coming from inside the room. (laughs) Um, So they calculated the top of the mountain, yeah, subsided by about half a meter after the tests, and part of it shuffled south. Hey, there's a story that's linked to in the sidebar of this. Uh, Have you ever heard of thermal tasting? No. Or being a thermal taster. Like you taste temperature? Synesthesia sort of, or what's the... So apparently this is more common than you thought. So in this one person in this story, Heather Smith, ice- that's a fake name. And it was Smith with a Y in the middle as well, which oh, is even more suspicious. Oh, okay, yeah, it goes Ugh. back to not it's specific enough. But to to Heather, ice cubes are always salty, not as salty what? as seawater, but about halfway there. To other oh. people, things like hot tea tastes sweet. Beer is unbearably bitter. Um, but her. F- is beer salty or bitter? If it's the coldness thing. So it turns out Dr. Smith is also. A, Doctor. F- a flavor chemist and sensory scientist at the University of Queensland. How convenient. Mm. She perceives taste when her tongue is warmed or cooled. In her case, she's a cold, salty. Yes, so it is, is a kind of synesthesia, I guess. It sounds odd, but thermal tasting is surprisingly common. Between 30 and 50% of the population experience it. That's not true. That seems bonkers. That's very high. One that is very be, high. Yeah, one of Statistically, us yeah, thereabouts. Despite, or at least it's, it's more likely than not that someone in this room has it, if... 
Despite being widespread, the phenomenon is a relatively new discovery. Formerly described in 2000 by a pair of Yale researchers, they found a wide range of thermal taster combinations. Most common are metallic and bitter tastes appearing when the tongue is cooled, and metallic and sweet tastes when you turn up the heat. So always metallic. Always metallic. (laughs) What a lucky thing to have. Different people may taste different tastes with different temperatures, but within themselves they're very consistent. So that's just like the way we see color. So, yeah. Because the argument that, like, your red is different than my red. So their hot soup is... But it gets actively changed as things get hotter or colder. That's the weird thing. I guess for people who don't have that, you get more of a flavor probably Mm. as things are warmer, but it's not different flavors. So, or different tastes, I guess, because flavor is more about scent. Oh, is it? Hang on one minute. So the five basic tastes it says you're probably familiar with, which is sweet, salty, bitter, sour, and savory, also known as umami. 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 And they're accompanied by other sensations such as metallic, fat, and starchy tastes. Ooh, I don't know about those. I, I, it's starchy like a, I thought starchy was like a feeling. I, I don't know. It, tastes it is, however, and I think we most people, I think we've talked about this on the show, it is a myth that different parts of your tongue are responsible for perceiving specific tastes. That's Which, crazy that we still were around for something that was basically phrenology. Like that was a thing we well, were taught I remember in elementary doing, school. <laughs> I remember seeing a demonstration of this at school where you have that where, where Mr. You have, Wizard did it on his show. Yeah. You got little little. Uh, there's like some salt water and some sugar water, and you get little straws and you drop it onto people's tongues in different places. Yeah, and it's just pure. It has. It's just pure placebo. It's just pure imagine. Like, oh yeah, I don't taste the salt there. But in all or those you just things, assume that if you do taste the salt, it's moved a little bit around your tongue. But nobody asked people to just close their eyes when they were doing just those nonsense. Things. Yeah. So even though taste buds are concentrated in your tongue, there are also a few. There are a few thousand on your tongue. They're also scattered around the inside of your cheek, the upper esophagus, and the back of your roof of your mouth. Each taste bud contains cells, which in turn have loads of different taste receptors embedded in their membranes. When a molecule from, say, a nice piece of cake hmm. latches, I guess that's their example of food. <laughs> <laughs> uh, food. You guys have heard of food, right? Like, um, like a nice um, piece of cake. Like a for- piece of cake. Oh, like food. Okay. You put in your mouth. Taste. All right. I'm with you now. When it latches onto a taste receptor, maybe a sweet receptor, signals travel along nerves to activate cells in the taste cortex of your brain. That is when you taste sweetness. Oh, like a nice piece of cake. Yeah. Which I guess is a, a piece of cake, a nice piece of cake, would have sweetness. Okay, yeah. <laughs> a bad piece of cake would not. No. no. All right. You forgot to put the sweetness in this one, so this is a bad cake. <laughs> I would call it more of a biscuit. <laughs> or a urinal cake. I mean, if you're Ooh. talking non-sweet cakes, that is a cake. It's it technically is, a cake. It has the nomenclature of cake. Yes, okay. They're actually sweeter than you think. <laughs> <laughs> but alongside taste receptor cells in taste buds are thermal receptor cells. These fellas, this is an Australian article, I should have said this at the beginning. These fellas detect changes in temperature and send signals to a different part of the brain called the somatosensory cortex. It's the close proximity of temperature detecting and taste detecting nerves that Professor Hort thinks are responsible for thermal tasting. The temperature is stimulating the temperature nerve, but it's also stimulating the taste nerve in some way. And given that there are loads of different types of thermal taste, there's probably more than one mechanism behind them. For instance, we have a sweetness receptor that is sensitive to temperature. Uh, when Professor Hort started looking into the thermal tasting phenomenon, uh, she was skeptical. But what convinced me was when we saw the activation in the taste cortex in the brain from temperature stimulation of the tongue. She and her colleagues took thermal tasters and heated or cooled their tongue. Well, sounds very kinky. It does, right? While their brain was being scanned with an fMRI, which measures blood flows to the parts of the brain. We talked about fMRIs a lot in last ep- the last week episode with Ori Amir. 
So listen back to that if you want to know how they work in more detail. But it's um, it's a big, it's an MRI scanner that it in real time shows you which bits of the brain are being activated. Generally, Isn't that just what an MRI scanner is. Well, MRI is normally taking like a still, like a, sla- a snapshot, right. whereas this sort of shows the changes over time, and you can you can stimulate the brain in various different ways by doing that's different cool. activities. Oh, that's and real you, cool! And it measures the blood flow to the brain. So it's sort of on a bit of a, ti- a time delay because it's it show it's like a heat map of the brain. Mm-hmm. But um, when a thermal taster's tongue was heated or cooled to the point that they could perceive a taste their taste cortex lit up in the same way that it would if they were actually tasting food. We can see in thermal non-tasters, you don't get that, acti- that activity in the taste cortex when you heat and cool their tongue. So there, there is a difference to people. Thermal tasters aren't the only interesting tasters out there. A quarter of us are super tasters, with tongues sporting more taste buds complete with more receptors than non-tasters. But even nutting out... even nutting out wait, normal wait, taste wait, is wait, 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 wait. that's not a verb that can mean I mean I guess it could be a verb wait 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 is that a thing you guys say too is no that... I think this is very Australian okay. nutting out normal taste I've never heard that before it's far from straightforward take bitterness for instance it alone is detected by about 25 different receptors and let's not get started on flavor No, right and flavor is shaped by what you taste and smell. Smell is obviously far more uh, complex and, uh, and varied. Aroma is thought to be shaped by tens of thousands of receptors, says Ingrid Applequist, a sensory scientist at the CSIRO. Taste changes with age, too. Children are particularly sensitive to bitterness, which can signal toxicity, and sweetness, which is usually a good thing. Why would you think that is? Like, are they also more prone to being poisoned or something? I like, think it is. I think it's just when you're a, when you're a kid, you haven't started decaying from the inside yet. Yeah, <laughs> but I think it is. You haven't learnt what's safe and what's dangerous. You just shove stuff in your mouth. So it's good to be super sensitive to any possible toxic things. Are more likely to be bitter. Right. So it's more. But how come we didn't evolve to not just start shoving things in our mouth as a as a species? Because we're hungry. Because we, need food. we need energy. Yeah, you, need the, you need the you need the instinct to eat. But babies just have the instinct to put everything in their mouth. But if something is potentially toxic, they're far more likely to spit it out if they're very sensitive to bitterness. Right. Whereas as you get older, there are things that are good for you that are bitter and it's beneficial to be able to eat them. I wonder if other animals have that thing where parents have to stop the young from just putting everything in their mouth. It just seems like it would have evolved away. Well, I don't know because I'm thinking about fully grown dogs will eat things all the time. Like feces? Yeah, but, but also th- my friend's... My friends with dogs are constantly pulling stuff out of their mouths that right. they shouldn't be eating. Or asses sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Because they didn't get there in time <laughs> yeah. and it's gone all the way through their digestive system. I've had to, I've had to do that pull a ripcord on it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, oh, God. Like a full, str- like a necklace or something. <laughs> but you're not going like to digest It's like a disgusting necklace. magic trick. What's that? <laughs> it's not going to like get, you know, like they don't, you don't, it doesn't have a taste. Yeah. I, I guess if, for a dog, it probably does. I wonder if there are magicians' dogs that ever have to like. Oh God, he's just he's eaten just all of the flags of the world. <laughs> I thought I had it safely palmed, but he's gone in there. <laughs> for elderly people, their sense of smell goes early. Food becomes less interesting and enjoyable. That's so, why my grandpa could eat grape nuts every day. Hmm. It's a it's a very bland cereal. Ah. Um. Even though it's early, you think if you're losing your taste buds, you'd almost want stronger flavors. Like when you're on a plane and you crave things that really, 
I don't know. I know I have, I had a friend who had a car accident that destroyed her sense of smell. And so she didn't have much taste and, uh, you just don't care. Yeah. So I think she lost weight because food wasn't as enticing. So does everyone in general lose weight as they get older? That's not true. Is no, it? that's absolutely not no, the case. No, no. But I mean, I was thinking like once you get it to a certain age, though. But then there are other factors. I think your metabolism age. slows, and you also become oh, right, 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 you become right. less active. But yeah, I think I, you. I, are, I, know, I didn't think everyone would always. I meant like I don't know. I'm not picturing a lot of like fat eighty year olds, but that's also probably because they don't get morbidity of. Uh, but no, you got like middle aged bread and that kind of thing. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Derailing the... Uh, that's De- right. Derailing the, the, the sideline. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, even though it's early days, food companies are starting to take note of taste research, says Dr. Applequist. Until recently, they have seen the population as a, a homogenous mass and taken the average. By enhancing certain aromas and combining different tastes, they might make nutritious food more palatable for the elderly consumer. Mm. Ideally, companies might one day find... you information such as genetics and taste preference to tailor a healthy nutritious diet that people find delicious says dr smith it's early days it's not going to happen anytime soon but companies (laughs) are starting to play in this space that's the worst phrase ever play in this space i just don't like it that's all i i will let's just blue sky it let's play in this space uh just throw some ideas up there and just see how put a pin in that you're not gonna do you're not gonna do the final sentence of, uh, of the article. Oh, did I miss it? Oh no, it's not good. It's not. Oh, no. I did. I know. I intentionally skipped it. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. The final line is: In the meantime, Doctor Smith is keeping her salted caramel intake to cake form only, and definitely not as ice cream. That's so, That's cool. so bad. <laughs> you skipped it for a very good reason. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and then I just subjected all the listeners to that because Andy made me. So Let the record show that that was Andy Wood's request, mm-hmm. and I would have left that out. It's on me. I would have spared you that horror. So with the with the temperature and taste thing, where do you guys stand on warm beer? Thumbs down. For all kind, no matter what kind of beer? I mean, listen, it's beer. I'll drink it. That's true. Yeah. I, like, I prefer a chili beer. Even if it's like a, a nitro? Even if it's like... I don't know what you mean. Like Guinness is usually served. It's not carbon dioxide, oh. but it's nitrogen and the smaller, finer bubbles. I don't sort of care creamy. that much about well, beer. Like, so his, I his, just like when you get sort of ales in British pubs, like real ale in British pubs, it's still not warm. Like it's not like no, but it's not as cold as America tends to. No, be, right. Like, but like the, I, I see the reason for it because the colder something is as well, the less you taste it. That's mm-hmm. true. Like flavors. Which is why if you've got Miller Lite, you want it to be ice cold because it has almost no flavor anyway. It's just it's just a cold thing. It's the sensation. Whereas if you actually, if you're really into you the flavors it. of a thing, then you do yeah. want it to be a little bit warmer so that the f- flavors are activated. Right. Yeah, I guess that's, yeah. That's what everyone says about American beer. But I've kind of grown. Maybe that's because I've gotten older and have less sensitive taste buds. Wait, would that be an argument for this? Yeah, because I, I think in my 20s, I drank a ton of IPAs, and now I'm drinking more and more, like, uh, quote-unquote shitty beers. Maybe you just got less pretentious. <laughs> Maybe I'm not a dick anymore, yeah. I outgrew my Portlandness. I like a fucking... You my, never Miller. outgrow your Portlandness, no, Andy. But, I mean, Miller High Life is a great beer to me, and mm. it's there's not I, much to it, but... I, I don't know if this argument is going to hold water. No. <laughs> is that a play on the fact that it is water? <laughs> <laughs> it's the champagne of beers, guys. Uh, Matt, was it made else? in France? Is that what? I don't know why it's the champagne of beers. Yeah, it's, because it's an ad campaign it's, and they're trying to trick right. you. Yeah, 
It's obviously not the champagne of beers. Well, what would be, though? I actually think it's the champagne of all drinks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We had another email from... um, I didn't put down who this is from. Um, We've been talking a lot about uh, driverless self-driving cars and you know the accident that happened and speculating about what might happen in the future with all this and um i'll find the listener's name in a second but he wrote in wondering about a scenario uh so he said what if someone stands in front of your car like in this future when we're all in driverless cars what if someone stands in front of your car to stop it this is russell smith okay and then his friend comes up from the side to rob you. Basically, will there be a way to tell the car to go and run this person over because you're in danger? Basically, he's envisions a, a new way to carjack people. Right. If everybody's auto driver is going to default to not hurting you, then you can... To easily... be fair, because I, I was thinking about that, because when I first saw that, I was like, whoa. But the more I think about it, you can still, you can still hold up cars in that same way by just human-driven cars will also stop if someone steps right. out in front of them. Like, you can still make a car stop like that. And even if you had a gun to my window and a person in front of me, it would still take me a little bit to decide to kill this person in front of me. In I, guess, of- I guess the argument is, like, a human can, in the heat of the moment, overrule it and run the person over and go, like, shit, this guy is... So I, right. I guess I guess that is the difference. I think what you've basically invented there is a possible plot point for action movies from <laughs> now on, sure. set in 10 years' time. I'm trying to think of movies I've seen that have the driverless cars. Did you ever see that one? Nobody, because it's not sexy. No, it's not. Well, I mean, Total Recall had that dumb, it was a robot, but an actual robot that looked like a, like a um, Bing Crosby sort of for some reason. Remember that in Total Recall? No, I've never seen Total Recall. It had that dumb thing where they'll just take some existing car and put a shell over it to make it a futuristic looking car, but it just makes it look like a golf cart kind of. <laughs> golf carts are fun to drive. Um, but yeah, so uh, Russell also <laughs> finished up his email by saying, I live a few miles south of Detroit, so this is a very real possibility. And as a person who also grew up outside of Detroit, I don't want to give it... I, I don't know anybody who's been carjacked in my entire Michigan upbringing. So um, yeah, he's mostly curious about all the thinking outside the box ideas that companies come up with for these hypothetical things. Down you the mean line. playing in that space? Let's play in that space, guys. Let's uh, let's put a pin in this... Um, Come back to it. Should we should we close on the hippo story? This has oh, been yeah, after starting with a very um with a like I love physics. We've given you no physics stories in this episode. <laughs> this has been all very life so sciences. You, so you ask just for no reason. Just out of curiosity. Just out of curiosity, just to Not get the to conversation. Tailor this going. to my interests. That's fine. Are there physics stories no, we no, could do? I like I like animals. One of the very few Instagrams that I look at regularly is animals is cute. So if it's about it, if it's about Fiona, I'm on board. And I guess animals is cute. Animals is cute. Animals is, is cute. Uh, uh, more uh, than one person uh, sent this story in. I know Hunter Reese did. Jake Young did. I expect other people did too. But there's been hippos can shit so much that they kill a lake. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which which version? Sometimes all the fish die. Their dung consumes all the oxygen around it, c- creating lethal pulses of suffocating water. This can also be a plot point in a movie sometime. Oh, so, okay. Someone hires a hippo hitman. Sure. To because they hate fish. I mean, I was thinking more. You don't mm, you don't know why all the fish are dying, okay. and then they find out that it's like a monstrous hippo, like a deep blue sea kind oh, of thing, okay, okay, or yeah. like a. L. Cool J has a rap about hippos. And, <laughs> and then the Samuel hippo just Jackson like bites off Samuel L. Jackson's face. Yeah. Um, do you want me to do this one? Yeah, go for it. Take sure, it away, sure. Andy. At first, Chris Dutton and Amanda Subaleski had no idea why the fish were dying. It is a mystery. <laughs> At a bridge on the border between Kenya and Tanzania, 
that is how you say it, right? Not ten, yeah. Tasmania, Tanzania, not Tanzania. That is correct. Tanzania. Uh, they noticed that whenever the Mara River rose, Mara River rose by a few feet, dead fish would wash up on its banks, sometimes in the thousands. Storks, vultures, crocodiles, and hyenas made short work of the carcasses, so if you weren't there to see it, you'd never know what was happening, says Dutton. Local rangers knew about the die-offs, but they blamed the events on farmers who sprayed pesticides in upstream fields. But it wasn't the farmers. Through an increasingly bold set of experiments involving remote-controlled boats, computer simulations, a makeshift dam, and vast tankers of excrement-filled water, Dutton and Suvaliski identified the real culprits. Fucking hippos. Uh, the duo who are married, not the hippos, mm-hmm. uh, published their results in a paper with the remarkably polite, remarkably polite title of "Organic Matter Loading by Hippopotami Causes Subsidy Overload, Resulting in Downstream Hypoxia and Kills I'm just going to call poop subsidy from now on. Right. <laughs> <laughs> to translate hippos, sometimes poop so much all the fish choke to death. Uh, so at night, hippos wander into grasslands to graze. During the day, they return to rivers to keep cool and protect themselves from sunburn. I didn't know that part of it. Uh, as they wallow, they constantly urinate and defecate. Yeah, That's... isn't that why they they wallow in mud? Because they they yeah, hippos can get sunburned. So, oh, they <laughs> they're saying they wallow in mud so no one can tell when they shit. <laughs> it's a good strategy. That's true. Yeah, they're very they're very That's shy. Why I, that's why I wallow in mud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they spend their oh, days. Oh, I just thought you were <laughs> yeah. like wallowing. I mean, I do I do enjoy it, but that sort of came from the practice. Oh, some of that was shit. I'm not going to tell. <laughs> I'll never, a lady never tells. <laughs> and then, a lady, she, she a lady treads, never divulges whether some of her wallowing mud is shit. <laughs> as Robin but, trades mud but shit. But if they wanted to come do a lot of tests on me, spend sure. a lot of money with some tankards, we could probably make it uh, make it yeah. worth their while. Um, so yeah, they constantly wa- they wallow and constantly urinate and defecate. Every day, the 4,000 or so hippas in the Mara deposit about 8,500 kilograms of waste into a stretch of river that's just over 100 kilometers long. Down at the bridge, you can put a net in the water for a few seconds, and the entire middle will just be coated with hippo feces. Well, then I'm not going to put my yeah, net in there. Why, why, would you, you, yeah. why would you waste a perfectly good net? <laughs> There's hippo feces everywhere, over the rocks, over the bottom, says Dutton. In the dry season, when the Mara becomes narrower and shallower, certain stretches of it become especially thick with hippos and their dung. Hippos are aggressive and dangerous. Only the foolhardiest of researchers would wade into these so-called hippo yeah. pools. Isn't that one of those fun, quirky trivia facts? Isn't it that hippos, unless you're counting things like unless you're counting things like mosquitoes and their transmission of malaria, but uh-huh. aside from that kind of danger, hippos are the most lethal animal on the planet. Well, they're what? they're hungry, hungry. Yeah, they're hungry, hungry, yeah. and. Yeah, sense. they will attack both marbles and humans. <laughs> but they're, they are, they're responsible. They're astonishingly, they're much faster than you think. They're incredibly violent and dangerous. But that's how you get away. You just throw the marbles in the other direction. Right. right. Exactly. Or you just get behind them and just bang the back of their tail many, many times. <laughs> they they said that. then they'll kick you like a horse. Yeah. They, um, yeah, that game left off the, the constant shitting part with the hungry hungriness. But it's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, it has to go somewhere. Those marbles aren't just going to fucking collect it forever. Um, Where did those marbles go? I know, right? We'll never know. So yes, only the foolhardiest of researchers have wade into these so-called hippo pools. Instead, Dutton and Subaliski deployed a remote-controlled boat armed with sensors. It revealed the mud and water at the bottom of these hot spots is a stagnant mass, stagnant mess of ammonia, methane, hydrogen sulfide, and other chemical grotesqueries. It's Ooh. also starved of oxygen. Almost all the gases consumed by bacteria as they slowly digest the accumulated hippo poop. During so we just rains, need more bacteria, um, or less. Wait, um, that eats it. That eats the poop. 
No, the 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 bacteria is eating the bacteria is eating the poop, but it's also eating oxygen to do it. So during heavy rains, extra water floods into the hippo pool, churning up the putrefying muck, sending it off downstream. For good reason, these events are called flushing flows. (laughs) So to study them, Dudden and Sabalski. used an oxygen logger, which is an arm-long cylindrical device that to the untrained eye looks rather like a pipe bomb. We always get stopped at airports, says Dutton. (laughs) Once dangled off the side of the bridge, the logger revealed that flushing flows dramatically reduced the oxygen level of the downstream river, often to levels that are lethal for many aquatic animals. That, they say, suffocates the fish. So they went out of their way to confirm the idea. They added hippo poop to bottles of water and demonstrated that oxygen levels full... They added poopy water to... This article ex- says the words poopy water. It does. I just wanted to be clear. There has to be a better technical term <laughs> than poopy water. I don't know, but our, our listeners sent this story in for a reason. And that reason is to make us say poopy water, poopy water. on the air. Poopy water. They added it to experimental streams, which are long trays designed to simulate a flowing river. But they still craved a more realistic experiment. Oh, so would I if I were in their place. We were talking about ways of how we could create a flood through a pool... And some other researchers said, why don't you build a small dam? So the duo used sandbags to block off the water supply to a nearby pool that's in hippo territory, but not frequented by the animals. A Maasai fixer connected them to a guy who had a large truck, another guy who owned two huge 4,000 meter trucks. Was that important? I think so. There's no way that I've only in their heard, culture they have the concept of fixers. I've only heard of Maasai warriors before, but I guess there's yeah. also every warrior needs a guy who can get you stuff. <laughs> Just picturing Harvey Keitel with face paint on for some reason. I'm I'm picturing more Morgan Freeman. Oh, okay. Because Harvey Keitel would have to be in blackface for that I, to work. I was also picturing that. It was pretty racist, my thought. But, uh, <laughs> I wish I had a Fantasia right now. I feel it's problematic. Uh, and, and a third guy who owned a large wastewater pump. With all of that, the team transferred 16,000 liters of soiled hippo water into their artificial pool. It's a lot of like, water. Wastewater pump guy, by the way, and tank owning guy, must have. Well, how did you persuade them to go? So you're just pumping water yet? Yeah. There's not going to be like hippo shit. Oh, no, no. Just regular non hippo shit water. These, these guys do what the Messiah fixed. Because the last, to do. yeah, the last scientist I lent my stuff to filled my gear with hippo shit, and I just want to <laughs> know that you didn't clean it up. No, it's definitely not. It's definitely not. It's good water. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Here, I'm gonna drink from it right now. Switch his hand. <laughs> uh, so they they transferred sixteen thousand liters of this soiled hippo water into their artificial pool. When they released the sandbags, they found that oxygen levels did indeed plummet in the water downstream. Bizarrely, this is the second study to be published this week on how hippo poop affects river <laughs> environments. Kiernan Stairs from the University of uh, California in Santa Barbara did similar work in Tanzania's Great Ruha, Ruaha River. Unlike the Mara, that river has been heavily drained by upstream farms. During the dry season, it stops flowing altogether, and hippos are confined to isolated pools. Stairs found that pools with lots of hippos have much less oxygen than those where the beasts are rare. As such, they had half the diversity of fish and invertebrate species and just 4% the numbers of fish. Only in the wet season, when water again flowed between the pools, did the fish and invertebrates bounce back. This is a long article. But you're almost there. But yeah, should we, should we push through to the end? So their study shows that hippos and their oxygen-sucking waste can occasionally be problematic, even in relatively pristine rivers like the Mara, and their work challenges us to reconsider what pristine even means. It certainly doesn't mean hippo poopy water. Yeah, last year the duo showed that migrating wildebeest nourished the Serengeti by drowning en masse in the Mara, which oh. adds about 1,100 tons of dead meat to the river every year. The Mara is a unique system, says Subaluski. 
Hippos and wildebeest act as conveyor belts channeling land-based nutrients into the water in the form of excrement and carcasses. And that water runs through a landscape that's dominated by herds of elephants and thousands of zebras and gazelles. In, what were you going to say? Is there an upside to the excrement then as far as nutrients? I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess it is, yeah, still, even though it kills the oxygen, there is still, it's fertilizer, yeah, I guess. Just not good for fish. Um, in this way, the Mara reflects what rivers elsewhere in the world might once have looked like before humans slaughtered their way through mammoths, bison, and other megafauna. It's not a babbling brook of clear water. It's a world of dead bodies, putrefying poop, and the occasional wave of suffocation. What an ending there. Right? But at least, Better than the last one. But I do like that that... That sort of gives lie to the whole bullshit. Have you heard about people charging extra for uh, fresh stream say, water? Yeah, yeah, like dangerous, untreated water because it's from nature. Like Ooh. so is hippo shit. So is, so are lots of things that are bad that'll kill yeah, you. Yeah, there's oxygen-free hippo shit water. So all I gotta do is start bottling this shit and sell it at uh, this literal at, shit at Arahuan. Literal hippo shit. Nothing. <laughs> nothing's better for your garden <laughs> than genuine hippo shit water. And nothing has 16,000 gallons of it. If you want to kill all the fish in your garden, yeah. just put the hippo shed on it. So are, you, are you still fish? having that problem with the fish in your garden? <laughs> we have a solution. <laughs> you can just sell it on a, what's a QVC? Yeah. <laughs> the most confusing and short-lived <laughs> QVC pitch. <laughs> like, who even let him in the studio? Like, where is... <laughs> the real presenter's just tied up in a closet somewhere. <laughs> like, we have to make this work. We have to make this work. Hey, Robin. Yes. Where can our listeners find out everything you're doing? Uh, on Twitter, I am at Robin something. On Instagram, I am at Robin something. R-O-B-Y-N-S-O-M-E-T-H-I-N-G. We will link to that and yes. all the stories we covered today on the show notes and on the website, which is also where you can find the donation button. The other way you can help us is by spreading the word, tweeting, Facebooking, writing nice things about us on iTunes, giving us good ratings. All that kind of stuff helps get us out and get us to more listeners and helps us keep going. Uh, you can also email us probablyscience at gmail.com. You can tweet us at probablyscience. We've got some tweets to go through next week. Uh, and also Facebook slash probablyscience. They are the three main ways you can find us. You can find us individually as well at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen. Yes. And at Robin something. And something. Plug, um, something. We have another Guilty Treasure coming up this Monday at Three Clubs on Vine Street in Hollywood. And it's a doozy. It's got uh, people you may know from podcasts like Jimmy Pardo, uh, Kyle Kinane, Maxim Ludwig and uh, Aaron Whitehead of Wild Horses. It's going to be a really good show. That is a great bill. Oh, also watch the Jim Jeffrey show. It's still happening and it still features jokes I've written. Do so, that. So yes. do it. Get on that. It's fun. And we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.